coming up on Art Palace. I so want to go in there. Me too. The lighting inside is like outside. It looks a little cold, but inside, look at those lovely glowing glowing lights that just call you in. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool people are Rebecca Andres and Leanne Anklin from the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra. So if you don't mind just saying um, your name. Leanne Anklin. I'm the general manager for the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra. And I'm Rebecca Andrus, and I'm the principal flutist of the orchestra, and uh, we'll be playing in a, a wind quintet concert at the end of the month uh, with some of my colleagues here. Nice. So what can we expect to be hearing at that concert? Well, you have this wonderful exhibition of art from Paris uh, in the early 20th century, and we've uncovered a number of works that uh, complement that time period. Um, a lot of short things, a lot of colorful things, uh, very entertaining program, we hope. Uh, so it'll be a, a variety of French and also people from outside France that uh, spend some time in Paris. So you just said very colorful things, which I love because obviously we're surrounded by color right now. We're actually recording this in the Paris 1900 exhibition. If you can, if you can hear, it sounds a little more echoey than normal right now. That's probably why. Um, and there's a lot of color. When you say color, when I say color, I know what I mean. Because <laughs> I mean color. <laughs> when you say color, what do you mean? Well, right around this time, actually, uh, Debussy and Ravel were very important composers. And they began to use the instruments in really interesting ways for their own sake, for the sake of the sound, say, of the flute or the oboe. They began to choose, uh, you know, the bassoon for its particular quality. Um, and the music then becomes sort of a kaleidoscope of special uh, moments in sound that you don't necessarily get with the classical composers. So I'm talking about instrumental color and... Um, moods and things that are created by that, which, you know, of course, you also see in a visual way with the art. Okay. Well, I just, I find that, I, I actually, it's one of my favorite things is the way different arts can use the same vocabulary um, in how we sort of um, cross over. So, you know, we sort of use a few musical terms a lot, too, to discuss art. You know, rhythm is, is probably the biggest one. So I'm really fascinated to hear this, what you've chosen, because I think it's so fascinating to look at uh, the art and then hear music and think about how these things were happening simultaneously and how they sort of reflect one another. I just think that's a really fascinating idea. It is. Uh it's also interesting to me, um, the idea of entertainment. Um, at this time, there were a lot of really short works uh, rather than, um, it's not that there weren't symphonies being composed, but um, there were a lot of specialized kinds of pieces, pieces about uh, children or events or uh, personalities, um, short pieces in, maybe in a larger set. So. Uh, when you think of entertainment and um, the kind of atmosphere that was in Paris at the time, very entertaining, uh, it, it, the, the 
brevity of the pieces kind of go along with that. Mm. Yeah, we should mention the, the full title of the exhibition is Paris 1900, City of Entertainment. So this is a, as a pretty big idea in the exhibition. And the, actually the area we're sitting in right now are pieces that are all really directly connected with that sort of performance side of entertainment. So um, we're kind of surrounded by that idea right now. Why do you think this time period, like why, why do you think the music became shorter at that point? I think there were a lot of influences of... Um, there, we always discuss that 1889 exhibition where the Eiffel Tower was built mm -hmm. and, and people came from all over the world and there were lots of different kinds of music being heard in Paris and a lot of the composers like Debussy and Ravel were influenced by these exotic sounds, the sounds of the gamelan, for instance, or they heard uh, even Russian music, Rimsky-Korsakov and that sort of thing, and they wanted to experiment with the new colors. Now, why they chose shorter forms, I don't know. Maybe they were just trying new things. It, um, I really can't answer that question, but I notice that a lot of the things come in short sets. What in the big picture would you say is different about the music from this period than the music that came sort of directly before it? I think there was an effort by the composers to find new voices, and I think um, they experimented with new scales, uh, whole tone scales, in other words, not so much do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, but a, a more vague sound um, so that mm. they had more flexibility. Um, Debussy in particular was into the sound of the chord itself, not necessarily how it progressed from one thing to the next. He was criticized for that. He took a lot of heat for that. Um, but in today's uh, retrospective look at that, we think it's wonderful and, and very innovative. Um, Ravel is like the master orchestrator after he kind of heard what the Russians were doing and heard these exotic sounds. Um, nobody orchestrates like Ravel. It's, it's just amazing. And so uh, I think they were really interested in exploring the possibilities that the instruments could bring in the colors uh, instead of so much about the sonata form or, or the just the general sound of the orchestra. Mm. I think that's so fun to try to hear those things or in the case of the art to see those things through the eyes of the time. You know, you talked about him taking the heat uh, for that and, and to f try to see something as radical and experimental that is sort of just become totally assimilated, you know? Um, that's actually um, a big thing that I think is really hard for us to do with Impressionism because it's just become almost how I think people expect art to look now. Right, like it's made such a big splash and it's on, you know, it's what is often sort of sold as art to the public and like postcards and things. Like, so people are very, you know, they're just really comfortable with the images now. Mm -hmm. And it's yes. really hard to sort of see those things as radical anymore or to hear those things as radical. But to me, that makes it so exciting to feel that like, no, this was rebellious. It was, it was. And some of the, the composers, um, for instance, Satie will be playing a piece by Satie. Um, he, he was told that he had no talent. <laughs> he, he took very curious jobs in order to make a living, but he finally found his voice in these little miniature things. He was sort of the original minimalist and uh, uh, avant-garde things, you know, but he made his, his living. I'm looking over here at the 
uh, uh, I'm afraid to say this in French, but Le Chat Noir poster. It was one of the first cabarets in Paris, and their piano player was Eric Satie. Um, he made his living that way to support his uh, composing habit. <laughs> so uh, he was somebody that was roundly criticized, and now we think of him as sort of the bad boy of that time period, but we, we still enjoy his music. It's very different and very simple, but it's become part of our culture now. Yeah, it's it's always, it, it's, it's one of those things that I, I don't know, maybe I just laugh at it too, because there's so many times where we try to make looking at art or going to symphonies and things like an act of like eating your vegetables or something like we treat it like it's this thing that's good for you that you're supposed to do and I just feel like nothing makes it less fun <laughs> it's like it's like no tell people it's dangerous tell people that they're gonna like you know we shouldn't be telling children we should be warning children about coming to the museum like this is a dangerous place and your parents don't want you here <laughs> well you know I think that's something about the chamber orchestra that's really special because when people come to the chamber orchestra they they never know what they're going to hear they never know what's going to happen um, we particularly try to design our programs to be kind of cross-pollinations different different art mediums uh, different themes so that it is surprising and vital and today and not yeah. not not a uh, an archaic uh, duty that you have to go to. <laughs> <Right>. yes <laughs> yeah. love to do partnerships and cross collaborations and give you something unexpected. And also, you know, that kind of is how we, we market and promote the, the events as well as something that is themed. It's an evening out, it's an activity. There's other things going on, there's lobby activities and that helps to kind of create a special atmosphere. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to get to participate in one of these uh, yes, performances and be a partner with you uh, last summer. Um, and it was a really fun experience to get to bring part of the museum collection. We, we, I chose images with you um, to uh, connect with the artwork. And it was sort of, per it was a perfect activity for me um, because it's, a, it's sort of exactly what I love to do, really, and, and just sort of find those uh, ways to make connections to music. Um, and it was, it was surprising. I definitely, I was excited to hear that. I, I felt like the, a lot of the choices that, uh, that had been made musically, there was a lot of variety. Um, and I was excited as somebody who likes um, maybe more contemporary composers and things to hear that incorporated. I think it was really fun to try to find those things that fit um, the music and we could all kind of agree on like, yeah, this feels like a good fit. Um, so I'm excited to be a part of that and to also, I'm, I'm so glad that you do that and you incorporate, are there any other organizations that you've done sort of similar things with or other ways you've kind of connected with other arts organizations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've done this with Taft Museum of Art as well mm -hmm. and done connections with them. We've worked with a lot of different dance companies, sure. which has been fun to work with um, CCM Modern Dance as well as Exhale Dance Tribe and uh, Mom Luft and Company. Mm -hmm. So then that brings a whole different element to, to the uh, stage not only them, but also actors through the Shakespeare Company. And we've worked with Madcap Puppets several times, um, as well as Pones Dancers, and we do a big collaborative production um, every other year called A Mall in the Night Visitors. So we're kind of known for doing that and thinking outside of the box and doing unique programs that appeal to maybe somebody who doesn't really know that they like classical music, and they come and, wow, they're surprised by it. So is there uh, anything else you want to let us know about that uh, is coming up with uh, the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra? 
Absolutely. Uh, this is actually our 45th anniversary season of the orchestra and our fifth anniversary of Summer Music Festival. So we're having a really exciting year. Um, we were excited when you all reached out about the possibility of doing something in a musical response to the exhibition. And we were glad that you thought of us as a partner. And this is going to give us a great time to be able to announce our season as well. So it's going to be a doubly fun event, not only fabulous music, not only a chance to come and see the art, but also a chance for our music director, Eckhart Proy, to come in town and communicate the full 45th anniversary season announcement. So it's going to be a really fun evening. Since we're talking about the concert, um, Rebecca, why don't you tell me a little bit more about what we're going to be hearing and who's going to be playing um, at the concert? Well, my colleagues and I um, from the Chamber Orchestra, it'll be a traditional woodwind quintet. Um, that means flute, oboe, clarinet, horn, bassoon. It, it's curious because there was a really active woodwind scene in Paris at this time, concerts galore, but we don't ex exactly have that music hmm. uh, left to us. Um, so, but what we have done is found other pieces that from the same time period, a lot of them are transcriptions and arrangements. Um, we have, besides Debussy and Ravel, we also have um, uh, Pierney, who was very big at the time. We have Foray. Everyone knows something by Foray. We have some popular tunes by him. Um, the aforementioned iconoclast Eric Satie, and uh, somebody who's one of my favorites, Lily Boulanger. Um, the name Boulanger is uh, familiar to people if they have read about the Paris Conservatory because her older sister, Nadia, uh, became a very, very famous teacher. She taught uh, Gershwin and uh, countless conductors and, and so on. But Lily was an extremely talented composer, and it's really interesting for us to include a woman. Women were just starting to come into their own at this time. Um, she was the youngest person ever to win a Prix de Rome. Um, unfortunately, her health was uh, very poor, and she died at a very young age. She died at the age of 25. Um, but we have found a piece by her that we're including. Uh, it, it was, she was a person of great promise, so I'm excited to include that. Um, we also have some foreigners, Albanians and uh, Rimsky-Korsakov, because they were very influential. Albanians actually lived in Paris, even though he was Spanish. Um, and of course, we have the, the kind of uh, grandfather of all French entertainment pieces, the can-can. <laughs> uh, and I see you have uh, posters um, and paintings here by Toulouse-Lautrec, and of course he, he captured the Moulin Rouge and the, the uh, Folie Berger so well, and of course, um, you know, we have to include that in our program. So, so it's a varied program within the, within the narrow scope of that time period. There's a lot of variety in the music. I love making music with my chamber orchestra colleagues. We've been together for a long time, and it's, it, it's so great to interact with them. You, you, we kind of have a sixth sense of what the other person's going to be doing, and it, it's, it's just all good. It's yeah, just so much fun to play with them. And the great thing that you're going to get at a chamber orchestra event is a little bit of fun knowledge, a little bit of information you didn't know. Maybe a fun fact, maybe a piece of history about the composer, maybe something about one of our musicians, just something fun to take home with you, a little bit of fun learning. And that sounds like it's going to be a really exciting program for people. So uh, since you mentioned the can-can, maybe we should look at some, uh, some images of those up close right now, if that's okay with you. Sure. All right. Um, 
Um, we're looking at uh, the painting Place Blanche and the Moulin Rouge. And this is, you know, the iconic thing that we think of, probably one of the number one things you think of uh, when it comes to entertainment at this time period is we have the Moulin Rouge um, and this uh, famous windmill uh, in the background here. I love the way these paintings are set up because it's almost like we're going into the Moulin Rouge and then the next paintings are sort of like, and what will we see inside the Moulin Rouge? <laughs> what do you think about this painting or what stands out to you when you look at it? I actually... I didn't go in the Moulin Rouge, I'm ashamed to say, but I actually went to the Moulin mm -hmm. Rouge and got a picture of it. So maybe I need to see these paintings so I can see what I missed inside. I didn't, I, well, I'm in the same boat. I, I've, I've been outside the Moulin Rouge and I didn't go inside because I think the tickets are incredibly expensive yes. now. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> or more like, yeah, I'm cheap. <laughs> yes, that's and, and that is why I did not go. Yeah, exactly. But it is it is absolutely beautiful, and the area that it's in is so lovely as well in Montmartre. So I think that this is just a beautiful night scene. It looks very engaging and exciting. It's, and I so want to go in there. Me the, too. The lighting inside is like outside. It looks a little cold, but inside, look at those lovely glowing. glowing lights that just call you in yeah well it's the, great the warm the warm reds of the light there and maybe it's sort of the way these ladies almost look like they're hurrying in they do um which gives that sort of sense of maybe you know it looks like a wet street too and the way it's kind of uh reflecting all that light so it makes it feel kind of drizzly and dreary maybe a bit out so yeah you kind of want to get inside there like those ladies so let's uh walk on down here um, we've got a few paintings here that show the can-can. The next one um, is a quadrille at the Bal Tabarin. Sorry to all of Nailed them, it. I guess, maybe. <laughs> and uh, so here we are, it looks like we're seeing some of... Uh, some of the dances here that are so famous. Looks Absolutely. Look at those dresses. I love the hats. The head pieces. Oh, yeah. These beautiful. hats are something, aren't they? Absolutely beautiful. And well, what's interesting, too, is you, you know, you said I love the hats and the hats are like clearly the artist did, too, because that's sort of center stage. I mean, obviously, the focus is the dancers and the way they are framed by this light and just sort of through placement. Also, the fact that they're bright white. Um, they, they're the first thing that pops out. And then after that, you kind of come back down to the foreground, I feel like, and, and that's where you have these ladies. Um, and the first two ladies, we can't really see their faces, but their hats sort of say almost all we need to know, right? Yes, it's really <laughs> very fancy. Really, the, the crowds too, the standing crowds, that's interesting. They're not sitting, yes. they're all standing watching the dance. In well, it looks like these, these ladies are probably sitting. They are. They, they have a table. Yeah, and just what I'm inferring from the painting, but they seem to be like maybe the upper crust who, I'm not sure if you could, maybe you had to pay for seats or know somebody to have a seat or something, but um, they definitely, those hats and their costumes make them seem pretty well to do. Also some champagne there, I see. Yes, yes. That's maybe also making me think that, too. I noticed that champagne yes. bottle as well. <laughs> well, and it looks like we have a fur here, probably, that she was wearing, um, that she's she's uh, maybe taken off now that she's inside. Um, so, But I think it's interesting because it does feel like, oh, this is a place to go 
to see and to be seen too is what I get from this painting as well is like it sets up this whole sense of the culture of going to this in the same way of like it makes me think of like oh this was like studio 54 of its time right like this is exactly, a place yeah yeah it's like you're not just going there to to experience something and to be a spectator but you are also part of the spectacle perhaps you know I can definitely see that <laughs> the only thing we're missing at this concert on the 28th is a can-can dancer. So we'll have to get right Leanne? on that. Leanne? No, I'm not volunteering. So volunteering. I am not volunteering. <laughs> I have to play, so don't, don't, look at, yeah. don't look at the ladies of the group. She's we're, like, we're I'm busy. busy. <laughs> Russell, you doing anything that evening? Oh, well, okay, it? All right, Maybe. We'll see if I can rustle up some good bloomers or whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you got some more dancing here. This one um, uh, by Louis Abel Chouchet. And uh, this one is Quadrille at the Moulin Rouge. Um, this one is really feels very, very modern to me. And it's w the use of its these diagonal lines and the way it uses space in the floor. Like this floor is a really strange <laughs> space. Um, and it doesn't feel exactly 100% like adhering to perspective laws. <laughs> mm -mm. In fact, it feels, actually, um, it feels like it follows maybe more um, uh, like Japanese laws of perspective where things are sort of just in that sort of isometric viewpoint and they don't actually get smaller in the background. And that was actually a really strong influence from Japan at the time. Um, people were, at, around this time in the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century, um, people were seeing Japanese art for the very first time in, in Japanese prints. Um, and they made a huge influence on European art at the time. So, I mean, that, I don't know if this was a conscious decision or not, but to me, when I look at it, that's what I say. It's like, oh, this feels very inspired by um, Japanese art. I feel color blocking, kind of a color blocking look and like very long brush strokes. It's very different than the last piece, even though the subject matter is very similar. Um, this is actually a print. So this is a lithograph. Um, so it's kind of interesting because it has a super painterly quality um, mm -hmm. for a lithograph, which I'm sure this the next few pieces we're looking at all appear to be lithographs. Um, some of them, you know, this we'll maybe skip the next one, which is black and white, and just go to the to the one after that because it, it it's maybe a little easier to see like oh this was made in multiple um, using multiple stones um, or plates of uh, where each color is a different plate, a printing plate. So they have to be very uh, well planned out. Um, now this one, um, it just uses, I, I, it's really hard to tell how many different colors are in here. Um, and I'm guessing it's way fewer than you would expect. <laughs> Probably. I'm gonna guess there's definitely, a, the purple feels very distinct. The red feels very distinct. The black feels very distinct. This gray, so all of the colors of the dress feel very distinct. I would not, I, I, I'm, you could possibly be based around only those, those colors which are making everything. Although it feels like you have to have some kind of yellow in there for that floor too. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different levels here that was built up to make this image. So it's almost, 
it's way crazier when you realize it's a lithograph and the work that had to go into making it. The fact that it does kind of look like a painting makes that even um, actually a little more impressive to me because it's like, wait, how did they do this? It's really hard to kind of figure out. These are all gentlemen here in the Malamarish, almost all in the audience, in the, in the spect spectators, as it were, top hats, you know, all dressed. But over there in the, in the previous painting, it seems like... Uh, Men and women. There are many women in the audience, women spectators. So, so I wonder if it's a difference in reputation of the clubs. You know, what's the, what's the expectation there? Um, yeah, you know, is is one a is one a more like women wouldn't go in? Yeah, or or what? Um, so, I, I, it just strikes me the difference there. Yeah, I am not one hundred percent positive of that answer either. There, there's definitely something that is meant to be sexual about the can-can, right? Like we're, that, that is a part of it. And so the fact that these are women dancers and it is a predominantly male audience watching them is not an accident, I don't think. Um, and, you know, but we do have a few women over here we see, but yeah, and, and maybe another one over here just kind of looks like a dress maybe, but it's, it's a little hard to make out with the details. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, that's, that's probably a good observation, like maybe this, this club was maybe considered a little more risque than this one. And so maybe that, yeah, you know, I'm wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I think those are, again, just like I was sort of inferring things about the social structures of these things. Like, I think that's w what we can learn from looking at art carefully and thinking about it is like, Oh yeah, you, when you, you might not have noticed that when you first looked at it, but as you look at it longer, you start to go, Hey, there's not a lot of women here. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that aren't dancing. That aren't right? on the stage. <laughs> yes, <Right>. exactly. <laughs> What's going on? Um, so, you know, um, I think that that probably does tell us something about both, like, maybe ladies would, were taking a certain kind of risk by going or, or a, a certain maybe societal risk or, like, their family would disapprove. Like, who knows um, what kind of differences. I'm sure there were double standards for, for men to go to a place like this than for women too. So, yeah. So um, this one is a good one to maybe uh, end on because it is probably by one of the biggest names in the show, uh, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, who I think probably most people have heard of. Um, and it's got this very distinct style of his that looks pretty different than anything we've just looked at too. Um, it immediately stands out. And this is a poster um, advertising a club called... The Divan Japonais. Yes, the Divan Japonais. The sort of centerpiece is this is woman with red hair um, who, it says her name on there, uh, Jane uh, Avril, uh, who is one of his models he used often. And uh, yeah, it's, it, this I feel like we were talking about the printing process and this one to me looks a little bit more obvious like oh this is printed yes it's a kind of color blocked yeah the yeah. The, the big it's kind of doing what printing is good at <laughs> and doing it like in a way that um you know it's 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 easy to see necessarily like okay this is where he put down the black this is where he put down the yellow this is where he put down the red it's a lot easier to figure out where where the things are um whereas that other lithograph is sort of layering things in a way where the colors get mixed together. So we have that red getting kind of covered up maybe by some gray, so it becomes muted and it, it all gets a little harder to tell. Um, I would say it makes that one even more impressive that, you know, kind of the talent in putting together something like that. It seems like certainly to me, uh, 
somebody who's like really well versed in the skill of printmaking to me when I look at that one, I go, yes. oh, wow. Um, and this one, um, though it's, it's sort of distinctive more for his drawing style and, and those big blocky areas too. I mean, I think that's very bold and also very new at the time to be able to just say, oh, this is, this woman is all just this big black shape, you know? Um, and I'm not going to, you're, I'm going to let the audience kind of figure it out, right? Like one of my favorite parts here as I'm looking at it is this, the arm that kind of comes up in the front. He gives us a little bit of gray here to delineate where this arm continues, but he doesn't give us anything on the forearm to show it. Um, and he just kind of knows that he trusts our brains to put it together because, well, I've got this hand here that's gonna connect and you kind of, you make the shape in your mind. Um, it's, it's really exciting and it's also, it feels very active to me. You know, I think it's capturing the excitement of the space in a certain kind of way. I love that the more you look at it, the more you can tell about the situation. There's a, an orchestra conductor, there's a string instruments, there's a martini, there's, uh, they're sitting, seem to be sitting in a box. You know, there's so much information that's conveyed in a very few lines. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great note. And even like, I think the first time I, or the first time I looked at it, I don't think I noticed this woman up here performing. Um, because she also just turns into sort of shapes, right? She just sort right. of uh, disappears. Um, and in the way that she also just turns into one line, right? Like she, her body right. blends in with the, the stage floor um, and just becomes this one line. So, well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this. Is there anything else you wanted to say? So, yes, uh, thank you so much for having us. We're really excited. As I mentioned before, it is going to be our fifth summer music festival, and that is August 3rd through the 24th. There are 12 really diverse and interesting events, including one where we are going to return to the Art Museum and partner with you all again. So definitely come out and be a part of it. And the announcement event on the 28th will be a lot of fun, thanks to Becky. Fabulous music, great art. Come be a part of it. Thanks for having us. We're so looking forward to playing this concert on the 28th. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have your own conversations about the art. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions right now are Paris 1900, City of Entertainment, Art Academy of Cincinnati at 150, a celebration in drawings and prints, and Giorgione's La Vecchia. Join us for A Walk in Paris, the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra concert inspired by Paris 1900 that we discussed in today's episode. The concert is at the Art Museum on Thursday, March 28th at 7.30 p.m. Purchase tickets at ccocincinnati.org and be sure to use offer code CAM5 at checkout for $5 off your order. For program reservations and more information, visit cincinnatiartmuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us. It always helps other people find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. 